Let me deal with the curse for a minute. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry about that. There we go. If you would, take your Bibles this morning and turn to the book of Exodus in chapter 21. Don't you just love watching Stephanie, Stephanie Dunn sing? I feel like I always love watching Wayne up there on his bass guitar because he'd every once in a while just really start getting into it. He's gone. And so now Stephanie's like, yes, show some excitement and energy up here. I love it. So, uh, title of the message this morning is Principles of Property Law. Principles of Property Law. As we continue in our, uh, actually, I'm sorry, I told you Exodus 21, Exodus chapter 22. If you would, Exodus chapter 22. In the last message I shared from the book of Exodus, we looked at some biblical principles in dealing with difficult situations uh, such as murder, kidnapping, or accidents that result in death. And those circumstances are not always easy to deal with. And, uh, you know, but God's Word does give us guidelines uh, and examples of how it was dealt with in the Old Testament. And uh, I do believe that many of those laws, even though they're not necessarily laws in the same which, in the which we deal them the exact same way today, I do believe that they give us a good guideline of, as to how some of these things should be dealt with. Uh, in this next text of Scripture, we see more principles directed to the nation of Israel that are, once again, still applicable for today when it comes to finding justice in the loss or destruction of a person's property. So in this next text of Scripture, we read about different circumstances that all wrap themselves around the subject of stealing uh, or loss of property. For example, what happens to a person found guilty of stealing? Uh, what happens if the person found stealing has already killed the, the stolen animal or has already sold it? What should be done with that person? Or what happens to the man who is responsible for causing a lost lost uh, to a harvest that was ready to be yielded. How should these things be dealt with? Well, the book of the covenant gave the Israelites a means by which they could find justice. And uh, as we know in our today's world, sometimes justice is not found in the way that we want it. But I think these simple principles could really help us in today's world, especially when you deal with the area of restitution, which we're going to kind of end the sermon with this morning. So, before we get into it, let's just look to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, God, we thank you once again for the opportunity and the privilege that we have in being here this morning. I ask God that you would speak to our hearts, and Lord, that you would teach us those things that you'd have for us to learn, and that you'd remind us of those things that maybe we've once learned and have forgotten. But I pray, Lord, that we might find the application, Lord, to you from your word, Lord, that we might apply it to our hearts and our lives this day. And Lord, I just pray for many, and maybe in this congregation, Lord, who have had these circumstances happen to them. And Lord, I know one of the hardest things to do sometimes is to forgive a person who has wronged you. But Lord, might we be a picture of Jesus Christ, Lord, in the things that we have, because everything that we have is from you. And Lord, sometimes you allow those things to be taken, removed, or destroyed from us, Lord, so that we wouldn't have an improper view of those things, or an improper attachment to them, Lord, in this life that we live here on earth. Because, Lord, we look forward to the, to the home that awaits us in heaven one day. 
So Lord, I pray that you just speak to our hearts this morning through your Holy Spirit. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. If you would, follow along as I begin reading in verse 1, chapter 22. When a man steals an ox or a sheep and butchers it or sells it, he must repay five cattle for the ox or four sheep for the sheep. If a thief is caught in the act of breaking in and he is beaten to death, no one is guilty of bloodshed. But if this happens after sunrise or during the daylight, there is guilt of bloodshed. A thief must make full restitution. If he is unable, he is to be sold because of the theft. If what was stolen, whether ox or donkey or sheep, is actually found alive in his possession, he must repay double. When a man lets a, uh, lets a field or a vineyard be grazed in, and then allows his animals to go and graze in someone else's field, he must repay with the best of his own field or vineyard. When a fire gets out of control, spreads to thorn bushes, and consumes stacks of cut grain, standing grain or field, the one who started the fire must make full restitution for what it was burned. Verse 7, When a man gives his neighbor money or goods to keep, but they are stolen from that person's house, one thief, if caught, must repay double. If the thief is not caught, the owner of the house must present himself to the judges to determine whether or not he has taken his neighbor's property. In any case of the wrongdoing involving an ox, a donkey, a sheep, a garment, or anything else lost, and someone claims, that's mine, the case between the two parties is to come before the judges. The one the judge condemns must repay double to his neighbor. When a man gives his neighbor a donkey, an ox, or sheep, or any other animal or to care for, but it dies, is injured, or is stolen while no one is watching, there must be an oath before the Lord between the two of them to determine whether or not he has taken his neighbor's property. Its owner must accept the oath, and the other man does not have to make restitution. But if, in fact, the animal was stolen from his custody, he must make restitution to its owner. If it was actually torn apart by a wild animal, he is to bring it as evidence he does not have to make restitution for the one the torn carcass. When a man borrows an animal from his neighbor and it is injured or dies while it is, its owner is not there within it, with it, the man must make full restitution. If its owner is there with it, the man does not have to make restitution. If it was rented, the loss is covered by its rental price. Say, wow, what in the world does all that have to do with us today? Well, I'm so glad you asked because we're going to get into that. We're going to kind of share these four areas. Outright theft, loss of property due to negligence, loss of property due to a loss from safekeeping, and then borrowed property not returned or returned uh, in a different way than what it was lended. But first of all, we find out in verses 1 through 4 that there's some cases of outright theft. What should happen in those situations? Well, no doubt many of us, if not all of us, have had something stolen from us at some point in the time. Is that true? I think most of us have had something. I can remember as a kid, my most prized possession as a like sixth grader was my bike. I'm telling you, I lived in the days, you ever watch those shows on TV where the, where the guys came down those ramps and did tricks in the air? Yeah, that was me. I had no... Uh, idea of pain or getting hurt that never crossed my mind i kid you not behind my house we had a development that was going on for like three years and we had piles of dirt like mountains of dirt every summer 
we had ambulances out behind my house. I'm not kidding you. Broken arms, broken legs, broken feet. I mean, you name it, we did it. We were crazy. And I had a race incorporated. And I know most of you have no clue what that is. Race incorporated was my prized bike. And my brother, bless his heart, took my bike one day when I was not home, rode it to the mall, left it outside the mall, came out of the mall, and it was gone. I wanted to rip his ever-loving head off. That was the last nice bike I ever had. Um, but it was my prized possession. I hated it. And I, wanted my, I held it over my brother for years. Because what else is a sixth grader supposed to do? It's your fault. So, at any rate, my prized possession. But, you know, that happens. Life happens. And our prized possessions are taken from us. Sometimes they're not prized possessions. There's things that we have and somebody else takes. And it's irritating. But many of us have had that happen. More than likely, we have never had an ox or a donkey stolen, thankfully. Um, but God, through Moses, directed the nation of Israel how to deal with these types of circumstances in which people get ripped off. So, the first set of guidelines dealt specifically with the Eighth, eighth Commandment, which declares, Thou shalt not steal, in Exodus 20.15. The case involved here is vastly different with an, uh, than when dealt with animals. Animals, especially in the ancient world, were their most prized possessions. Uh, it is probably one of the greatest valuable assets that they had was their animals. Uh, it was in their donkeys and in their sheep and in their uh, mules and in their all the animals that really their day-to-day living took place. So it was more valuable oftentimes than anything else they had. So according to the Bible, what was supposed to happen to a man who was caught stealing? First of all, the victim was to be compensated for what was stolen from him. And the Bible calls this the principle of restitution. I want you to think about this just for a moment. Restitution is a very important principle. And I say that because most of the time it's not put into practice within the local churches, within the local um, communities that we live in. Oftentimes, we have, as Mike brought out last week, a penitentiary was for the purpose of making a person what? Penitent or repentant for what they had done. And oftentimes in today's world, today's culture, today's economy, a man who is found guilty of stealing, he may pay a price by going to jail for a period of time. He may have a prison sentence. But who benefits from that? Oftentimes, it's the state who gives them their you know, a few pennies on the dollar for working and towards paying off a, a debt. But the person who has been stolen from, oftentimes, well, suck it up. You lost. The principle of restitution says this. When I am found guilty and I have, am guilty of a crime of stealing, I must pay back what I have taken. That's important principle. It's one thing to say, well, hey, I'm sorry, I took your horse. All right, everybody go on to their merry way here. But it's another thing to say, you know what? I'm not just sorry for getting caught. Let me make it right by giving it back and maybe something more for your trouble. Restitution says, really, from the heart, I apologize and I want to make it right what I've done wrong. Restitution oftentimes does not happen in today's world. And it's sad that it doesn't. So, first of all, a victim was to be compensated So, number one, if a man was found guilty of stealing an ox and the thief had either slaughtered the animal or had sold it, 
he was to repay heftily for what he had stolen. In fact, he was to repay five oxen for every ox he had stolen, and he was to repay four sheep for every sheep he had stolen. Can you imagine? I think a thief might think twice before he goes in to steal that ox, knowing that he may have to repay five times. And it's kind of interesting to think this through for just a moment. Why with ox he had to repay five, and with a sheep he just had to pay four? I'll tell you why. Because the ox, first of all, was more valuable. And secondly, an ox helped them provide their income. They had to train that ox for hours, literally, from what the history books tell us. There was much training that went involved into these ox. Now, it's more than just putting a, a harness on them of some sort or a yoke on them of some sort. You had to teach that ox to go in a straight line. You had to teach that ox to bear down against the, against the grain and, and, to, and to work hard and to... So with all the work that went involved, that was involved in training the ox to do the job, he said, this is the valuable asset. And if you get caught stealing it, you will repay fivefold. It, would make a person, it was supposed to make a person think twice about stealing. A sheep? Well, there's not much training that goes into a sheep. They're just there. But if you take one, fourfold back. A man's ox was his most valuable treasure. Trained to do serious work. And uh, the owner himself put in a lot of time doing that training. In painting a similar picture in today's world, it was like stealing a man's work truck that held all of his tools to perform his weekly duties. Can you imagine just for a moment, you have a work truck, and on your work truck there's a welder, there's a toolbox that has all your tools, there's extra parts for, you know, for, the, for the pump that you're going to replace. And can you imagine having that truck stolen? That's a very similar picture. And so it was very valuable. Substantial restitution was required for stealing a man's livestock. But what if a thief was found, but the animals of the property were still in his possession? Well, if a thief were found with stolen property still in hand, the thief had to repay double. Well, at least you didn't, you didn't butcher it. You didn't sell it and get it out of your possession. You still have it. You're still going to pay double. You're still going to have to pay double. Now, there was an interesting situation found in verses 2 and 3. Let me read them again. Verse 2 says this. If a thief is caught in the act of breaking in and he is beaten to death, no one is guilty of bloodshed. But if this happens after sunrise, there is guilt of bloodshed. And a thief must make full restitution. If he is unable, he is to be sold because of his theft. So here's an interesting situation. What if a thief tries to break into a person's house with intent to steal? Well, there's two scenarios here. First of all, if he breaks in at night and the owner in his rightful defense of his family accidentally kills the intruder, well, he's not found guilty of any bloodshed. He is free. You shouldn't have broken in. Period. And if that happens, there's a price to pay. But if a thief tries to break into a man's home during daylight hours, well, that's a little bit different. If he is struck down and dies, then the owner would be brought to the authorities to determine innocent or guilt. And you think for a second, well, what difference does it make if he tries to break in? Well, at nighttime, you may not know what's going on, and he may have intent to harm. In daylight, he says, the principle is, you see who's doing this, and you can avoid bloodshed. So, possibly avoid bloodshed, and then they're brought to the authorities to determine innocence or guilt. So, here's the principle I'd find in this. Don't do it. Don't, don't you put yourself in that situation where you can find yourself possibly facing death. Number two, 
loss of property due to negligence. We find this in verses 5 and 6. And this really has to do with protection of our crops. So in the next two cases, we see a picture of a legitimate accident. What happens, number one, if livestock got out of the pen and grazed in another farmer's field? Or what happens to someone who is responsible for burning another farmer's field? In the case of a man's beast grazing in another man's field, the owner of the beast had to make restitution by giving of the best of his field or the best of his own vineyard. You see, it's not just an idea of, well, I'm sorry, my cattle got out. (laughs) Have a good day. No. If your cattle got out into another man's field, you had to give up your part. And not just part of it, your best part to make restitution. You see, restitution really is a biblical picture here. And I don't think it dissipated in the New Testament. And we're going to see that in just a few moments. But if it was deemed that you were responsible for that man's field catching on fire as well, you had to make restitution to the owner of the field. You had to pay for those, cry, pay for those crops that were lost. The third area, loss of property due to loss from safekeeping. And this is kind of interesting to me. In ancient days, when a family traveled, it was nearly impossible to take all of their possessions with them. You know, so many of us, we've been on vacation before. We went over to grandma's house. We went on to our cousin's house or whatever. And we go and we simply do what? We lock the door and go. I'm not thinking too many of these people had tents that had locking doors. Um, or dwellings that, you know, remember a lot of these places didn't have doors. They had openings with a, a cloth that were dropped down. So, uh, you know, the average common person didn't have a safe house that someone couldn't get into. They didn't have nice, you know, uh, Pella windows or Anderson windows that had locks on them. You know, the doors and windows were open oftentimes. So it was nearly impossible to take all your possessions with you if you were to leave the village. So... They would oftentimes entrust their possessions to someone else. In such a case, a family might entrust his goods and belongings to a neighbor for safekeeping until they could return. But upon return, if the goods entrusted to the neighbor were still there, well, all is good and life goes on as normal. But in such a case where a family returned and the goods were missing, or for whatever reason, what would happen? Well, if the thief were caught, he'd have to repay double. Remember He's a thief, and if he steals it and is caught, he'll have to pay double if he still has the possessions. But, number two, if the thief is not caught, then the neighbor entrusted with the goods would be brought to the authorities to determine if he had anything to do with the missing goods. To see if he had any deals or negotiations with somebody to get rid of the things and to accept the consequences. If it were determined that the neighbor was not involved with the missing goods, then he was free and not held liable for the missing goods. And the same would be true with regarding an animal. If an animal were to die while in the care of a neighbor, it would be settled by the neighbor taking an oath before the Lord that he had nothing to do with the loss. Think about this just for a moment. How many of us in that circumstance, in that situation, when our neighbor would go and say, yeah, I'll take care of your stuff. I'd almost want to say, because what happens if I leave and somebody comes in while I'm gone and your stuff's in my house? I think I'll pass. But you know, how often have we in our culture had a neighbor who is gone and they give you the key because they're your next-door neighbor and you keep an eye on their stuff while they're, while, you, while they're gone? Would you want that responsibility if somebody comes in and breaks into the house while you're in possession of it or given the task of watching it? That's the scenario. And the animal. And, and yet the animal thing is a little bit different here. So if an animal were to die while in the care of a neighbor... 
Well, it would be settled by the neighbor taking the oath, and if the owner had to, and the owner had to accept the oath. If he said, "I say before God, I had nothing to do with it," the owner, even though he's out, has to accept it. So you can see how this could be uh, lead to resentment between friends and neighbors and cause anger at times. There's a huge risk in asking a neighbor to care for your goods and livestock while you were gone for a period of time. The case was different when stealing was in the. Uh, the case of a predator being killed by an animal, or uh, uh, a predator killing an animal. Say one of your sheep got out and a, and a wolf destroyed it. That was a different scenario. Basically, all you had to do is carry the carcass and say, listen, the, the, the wolf got it. And it was a done deal. But then there's the fourth area, area borrowed property, not returned. How many of you have ever had this happen to you before? How many of you have ever looked for something and you know it was in the garage and now it's not? Just this week. So, at any rate, we have this idea that, man, when we lend something to somebody, they're going to return it, right? And they're going to return it in good order and it's going to be perfect when you get it back. Not always the case. If a man borrows an animal and it dies or is injured, restitution had to be paid. However, if a man borrows an animal with the owner present and it dies or is injured, no restitution shall be paid. And you think, well, what, what difference does it make whether the guy is here or not? It's kind of like this. My neighbor's got a tractor. And the tractor's kind of on its last leg, so to speak. It's got a million, amount, a million hours on it. It doesn't run very good. But I just have this one last hole to dig. I mean, the back hole's over here. Let's start digging it. And both of you are there, both the owner and you, doing the project. And... Hey, you're starting to dig, and the thing just wants to die. I mean, the load is just too much, and it just doesn't want to break down through the dirt, and it just doesn't want to scoop it. If you're the guy running it without the owner, you're kind of going to say, uh, I don't know if this thing breaks. I'm going to have to repair it. I'm going to have to replace it. I'm going to have to do something. It's going to cost me money. I might back off and say, yeah. But if the owner is there, and he's saying, oh, go ahead. I mean, just, just do it anyway and it breaks, the man's off the hook. And you think, well, what difference does it make? The difference is the owner is probably there saying, hey, it's there, do it, let's get it done. So if he's not there and it breaks, you're paying for it. If the owner is there and it breaks, you're off the hook. I think I'd rather have the owner there if I'm borrowing something. (laughs) Um, But here's the principle that we learn from this. In the Old Testament, in the Book of the Covenant, if you borrowed something and you broke it, you had to replace it. Question. Anywhere in Scripture negate that in the New Testament? Let me give you a, a hint. No. If you borrow something from somebody, and if you're the one lending it to them, I think there's a couple of principles that need to be applied here. Number one, you have to know that if you lend something to somebody there's a chance you may not get it back. And you may not get it back in good order. And if you borrow something and it breaks or is lost, you should replace it. That's biblical in the Old Testament. Say, well, that's Old Testament. We're in the New Testament. Tell me where it's negated, but I will tell you where it's reinstituted. The bottom line is this. We need to be careful for two reasons. Number one, Everything that we have is whose? God's. We forget that oftentimes. 
everything we possess, everything we possess is from God. So when someone says, hey, can I borrow that? Yes, use wisdom. Use good judgment. But understand, it's God's. And if we have that perspective and it's broke, it's much easier to deal with. I think I shared this story one other time a couple years ago. I'll share it once again just to prove the point. You know how we said years ago before kids, BK, before kids we were fanatics about our vehicles. I mean, every Saturday morning, got the Q-tips out, getting the little you know air vents clean. We were nuts. So, fast forward a couple years. I'm a youth pastor. Got all, all these dozens of kids. And I come out of the church building one day, and I had an Astro van. Anybody, or Aerostar van. Aerostar, anybody remember the Aerostars? I hated that thing. There's no amount of money in the world that would let me ever buy another one of those. But I, I had an Aerostar because I had kids. And with kids, I thought, okay, we're getting rid of the pickup bringing out the the van, and I come out of church, and I had teenagers bouncing on the back. Anybody ever had that done before? Right? You know how that works. Three teenagers on the back bumper, holding on to the spoiler. Coach! There goes the spoiler. And at that point, you have a choice to make that is very, very real. Lose your ever-loving mind and break a relationship with teenagers that were entrusted to you. Or you say, you know what, it's just a thing. And let me just tell you, choosing the fact that it's just a thing is far better. From that day on, I will never forget that God taught me a lesson there. That everything in life is just a thing. And things can be replaced. Um... I don't care what it is. A vehicle? I don't care who uses my vehicle. You all know that. You got, many of you have already used it. I don't care. It's a thing. But you have to know this, that when you lend something to somebody, it may not come back the same. It's just a thing. But if you're the one using it, as a believer, you should return it or replace it if you ruin it. And I think that's biblical. So, it irritates you when somebody doesn't return something that was given in good shape. So the Bible says that if you borrow something and ruin it, even if it's a complete accident, you're to make it right. Where do we find that? Verses 14 and 15. It says this, When a man borrows an animal from his neighbor and it is injured or dies while it's owner is there with it, the man must make full restitution. If its owner is there with it, the man does not have to make restitution. If it was rented, the loss of it is covered by its rental price. So bottom line is, if you break it, pay for it. Unless the owner says, don't worry about it. And sometimes that happens. So, in conclusion, what if a man found guilty could not offer restitution for whatever reason? I can't afford to pay it back. Well, Notice the end of verse 3. He would then be sold for his theft. He would have to work until he could pay off his debt. So was the debt just saying, ah, no big deal, don't worry about it. No. Ultimately, the debt had to be paid. 
So there is a principle of you can't just walk away from it. Restitution is a biblical concept that is rarely carried out in today's culture. And some would argue that this is part of the purpose for insurance. I have insurance for those things. Well, insurance may help the victim of the crime, but it doesn't offer justice for the person found guilty of stealing. So the bottom line is insurance doesn't always take the place of restitution. So, once again, take responsibility. So the thing we need to remember is this, that we all need to practice restitution. If you are at a friend's house and you break a vase, you need to replace it. If your dog runs, ruins a neighbor's yard, you need to repair it. If you caused a fender bender, you need to make it right. If you made a commitment and, in, and, and reneged and didn't follow through on it, you need to make it right. That's the proper thing to do. Let me close with one New Testament example of this. If you would take your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 19. See an example here of restitution being practiced. You have this little guy named Zacchaeus who uh, was confronted with the truth of who he was in his sin. Look at verses 1-10. through 10. Just follow along as I read them. He entered Jericho and was passing through, and there was a man named Zacchaeus who was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. He was trying to see who Jesus was, but he was not able to because of the crowd, and since he was a short man, so running ahead, he climbed up a sycamore tree to see Jesus. Since he was about to pass that way, when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, Hurry and come down, because today I must stay at your house. So he quickly came down and welcomed him joyfully, and all who saw it began to complain. He's gone to lodge with a sinful man, but Zacchaeus stood there and said to the Lord, Look, I'll give half of my possessions to the poor, Lord, and if I have extorted anything from anyone, I'll pay it back four times as much. And you see why he came to that conclusion. Verse 9. Today salvation has come to this house, Jesus told him, because he too is a son of Abraham, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save the lost. I believe that that day Zacchaeus was confronted, though, if I read between the lines a little bit, and I think you have the freedom to do that in the text. You surmise what took place here. Zacchaeus following Jesus and running ahead to have this conversation with him. I think Zacchaeus realized that day what he had been doing was wrong. Right? We can gather that. And he says, you know, as a tax collector, I need to pay it back. Four times as much. Let me ask a question. We live in a culture very much so that basically accumulates a lot. Am I wrong? We've accumulated so much. And we almost act as though that stuff that we have accumulated is ours. It's mine. I worked for it. I paid for it. It's mine. So, the first thing we need to understand is that nothing is yours. It's God's. doesn't matter whether it's the house, the cars, your health, your job. You only have it because God has allowed you to have it. It's His. It's another message, but it's His. And if 
the need presents itself for someone to use something that you have, what's your attitude towards that? Some of us are like, uh, I don't know, maybe, maybe not, I'm not really sure. Um, if it's God's, and he gave it to you, why not? But, lending it with the idea that it may not come back the same as what it went out. But, on the other side, if you're the one borrowing it, and you break it, or lose it, you need to replace it. So, in the culture that we live in, and in your life, have there been times that you've not made restitution for the things that have been given to you? It's easy to say, well, no big deal. They have lots. They don't need it. They won't miss it. They'll get another one. It's easy to say, well, it was, it was an accident. I didn't mean to. And besides, they know I can't really afford another one. And justify it or rationalize it or excuse why we haven't. But then we come along and see Zacchaeus, who's wealthy, and says, you know, I'll pay back four times. This happens in the real world quite frequently. Um, I had a friend who worked for a builder. And the builder got hurt on the job. The builder was an Amish man. And the Amish man didn't believe in insurance. You say, whoa, there's a, you can see where this is going. But the way the story was told was like this. The man basically was hired to build a home. And in the middle of the project, he fell off the roof and hurt his back, was injured. Could not work for months. The homeowner who had hired him basically sued him. Because, I mean, after all, it's his home. He's paid for half of it, and now he's out because the guy can't work for several months. Now this guy is like, everyone's yelling at him, why didn't you have insurance? I mean, that's why you have insurance for this kind of thing. The Amish guy says, listen, I'm a man of my word. I'm a man of character. That may not be the case with others, but I am. And that man, as soon as he was healed, went back to the work and paid off over $200,000 to that individual. Didn't walk away from it. Didn't say, well, too bad. You know, I got hurt. No big deal. Character says, I'll make restitution. I'll do what I'm supposed to do. In a world that says it's easy to walk away from it, we need to make sure we honor when we borrow something, when we do something, make restitution. It's not easy. But also, as believers, we have to understand, too, that everything we have is God's. Just kind of settle that there. Everything is God's. And if it's taken from us, He has a reason. Maybe we have too much focus on that thing, and God says, yeah, get your focus off that thing and put it on me. God didn't want you to have it taken away. He wouldn't allow it to be taken away, right? Right? So it's his. And everything that I have is his. And I'm going to hold it lightly, loosely. But if I borrow it, and I break it, ruin it, lose it, i got to replace it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for your goodness to us, Lord. Thank you for the example that we see in Scripture, Lord. And uh, 
I pray, Lord, when it comes to the stuff of life, Lord, that we would hold it very loosely, realizing that this earth is not our home. And Lord, we're talking about Old Testament principles in the book of the covenant. I pray, Lord, that we might apply some of these principles to our modern day living, Lord, that everything that we have is from you. And Lord, when we let it go, there's a chance that we may not get it back. And if we're the ones borrowing it, we should restore it, replace it, make restitution for it if we lose it. So Lord, I pray that we would honor these principles and Lord, therefore, walk in fellowship with you and obedience to you. So Lord, work in our hearts this morning, Lord. I know all of us have had at different times of our life things taken from us, broken while they were away. And I pray, Lord, that we would find it in our hearts to forgive and to honor you in even how those things were taken from us. So as heads are bowed and eyes are closed, just a simple opportunity to respond as we give each and every week.